We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Day before Thanksgiving, Cooley's in the house. I am here as well. This review uh, from Roy P3. Still the best listen all week in the D.C. area. Kev and Cooley. Um, From Coach Jeff 7 uh, love Kevin's takes on the Commanders. Always look forward to everybody, but I love the Cooley video breakdown as a former high school football coach. And then from Commander Lover, we got a one star out of five. Kevin is a Commander's hater. That's it. I said, you know, if you're going to review us, do it in one sentence, one to two sentences. And Commander Lover said, Kevin is a Commander's hater and gave us one star. Um, if you have time. That's not fair to I, give one star because you're a commander's hater. Well, for some of those. It doesn't mean you do a poor, it doesn't mean you do a poor job. The product is still good. It just, you don't, he doesn't like the product. Well, that's not true either. I mean, I, I'm not a compa- commander's hater. I mean, if you want me to respond I, I, to that, I, I mean, I'm, I don't really need to respond. People that are listening know that I'm not as passionate about the team as I used to be. That is 100% true, but I'm not a commander's hater. Um, I mean, no, in, in I fact... At this point, the last time we talked, I think you're a massive commander's lover. <laughs> I know you... I think you are, and I think, I think that you are as passionate no, as not. anybody I'm in not. the fan base. It's all, I mean, you talk about it more than anybody else here. You're more in tune to the team and the coaching staff and what they're doing. You never miss one thing the organization does. I mean, everything they miss, you you find. Like, you're into it, man. Okay. I think you're wrong, and I don't think you're I don't actually. Know what you're crazy, but I don't. Well, you're I don't think you're serious. I think, in some ways, I'm serious. I do know how you actually feel. Right. You know exactly how I feel. It's no different than what I've shared with everybody. I just don't have the same level of passion. Now, I do think, and I've said this now for a few weeks running, and especially this week, and I am excited because I've not talked to Cooley this week. I've not talked to him since the game on Sunday. I gave him an assignment, um, which we'll find out here shortly um, if he's completed. He usually does complete the assignment. But I said yesterday to Tommy, and the same on the podcast on Monday, I think this team's winning 10 games and going to the postseason. And I think when they get there, depending on the matchup, they're going to have a chance to win a game in the playoffs. I think it's as good a defensive team as there is 
in the league. I would put it third right now behind San Francisco and Dallas defensively in the NFC, but it is easily a top 10 overall defense in the league, and it is probably the best rush defense in the league in terms of stopping the run right now. Of the teams that I've watched, um, I don't know that there's a better run-stopping team in the league. They held this dude, Damian Pierce, Sunday to eight yards. Eight yards. He had 94 last week against the Giants. He had 137 in the game before that against the Eagles. They held him to eight. They've been doing this to everybody this year. Um, And I think that they have turned into a good football team. I think this is different than last year, different than years past. I think they're a pretty good football team right now. Um, But let me just, before I get your thoughts on this, I just want to ask everybody, those that haven't rated and reviewed us, to do so on Apple or Spotify. Apple in particular just really helps us. Uh, Five stars would be better than one star. And a quick one to two sentence review about how much you love the podcast. All right, so what did you think of the game? Well, hold on. I want to talk about the game, but I, I think you're right in watching them, that they are when the top three defenses in the NFC. I think that they're in the top five defenses or six defenses in the NFL. And here's the crazy thing, though, about Washington, is if they had turnovers, especially early in the season, which they had absolutely none, and if they didn't have a couple of those games where they looked out of sorts early in the year, they're the number one statistic defense in the league based on the last I'll bet you I'll guarantee you in the last four or five weeks they're the best defense in the NFL they're the best defense in the NFC in the last four or five weeks yeah I mean they've been really Dallas is pretty good I mean Dallas has been pretty damn good defensively um but the 49ers are pretty good defensively but I I agree I mean it's you can debate Washington's defense is better or as good as as any in the league right now and the thing is, Cooley, it's complete right now. They're getting, obviously, dominant front four play. I mean, dominating front four play. Uh, John and, and Duran, there's not a better pairing right now in terms of D tackles in the league. Sweat's playing at an outrageously high level. Jamin Davis has developed. And their secondary, I mean, I saw PFF. Somebody sent this to me this morning. Cameron Curl is the second highest rated safety in the league per PFF. Behind, by the way, Kyle Hamilton, the guy that I wanted Washington to draft um, at number 11 overall, the guy that's in Baltimore, who somebody uh, tweeted me after the game, he hasn't played nearly as many snaps as Curl has. Um, And then you love the corners. I do too. Well, you love St. Juice. I think Fuller's played better. And I think Forrest and McCain are playing well. I mean, it's just really front-to-back a really good defense that I think is exceptionally well-coached. They don't miss tackles, Cooley. They're such a good tackling team. They have become an incredible tackling team, rally-to-the-ball team. Um, They've been way more consistent. When you watch the last six weeks, you don't see gaps in the defense. Teams that are making plays have to make plays against them. They still have given up a couple, but everyone does that. To me, it's been a really, really consistent defense. Um, yeah, and the secondary play, I think, is the hugest part of it. And I think it's, it's wild because it really the, the change from St. Juice to St. Juice from William Jackson is essentially what 
started the turn of defense. And I think the other guys, their guys playing better. And the safeties have started to figure things out. I do think it's funny that Cameron Curl's their second-rated safety. It's <laughs> like, uh, would you take him in the top ten safeties in the league? Would you take him over Derwin James? Would you take him over the dude from <laughs> San Francisco? Would you take like? There's another reason Derwin James isn't rated as high, or wouldn't be, because they match him up one on one against Travis Kelsey an entire game, and he can eliminate he can eliminate Kelsey or take Kelsey from what he is to ten percent of what he is. I, I like. I actually really like Cameron Curl, but he's not asked to do what some of the other safeties in the league are asked to do. The thing is, though, with Washington's defense is they are really collectively all together, and they're playing in a fashion where it is everyone do your job and understand, hey, when we all do our job, there are three guys up front that make our job way easier, and they do more than their job. And Payne Allen and and sweat. They they are monsters, and they were monsters in this Texans game. Oh yeah, I mean, but, that... I mean, this is this this defense. If right now there's one gate, one hole, and it's Bostic, and he's not a starter. If you were to get Holcomb back, I think they're in really really good shape. Yeah, me too. I agree with that, and I know they really like Bostic's like IQ, but he can't run. Like he can't run. He can't run. How old is Bostic? Uh, okay, Bostic, Bostic, Bostic. John Bostic's thirty-one years old. Thirty-one. I wonder if John Bostic could ever run. I think he could. It, well, that's not. Yes, fair. it's not fair to say can't like can't can't run. No, I'm just saying can't <laughs> run fast. There was a, there was a, there was a situation in the game where they there was they were into two man and they threw a crosser to Cooks. Um, Brandon Cooks, and it looked like me trying to chase a rebound this week, playing one-on-one basketball, like flailing arms and legs kicking everywhere. Right. And I'm not getting to it. Right. Like, oh, but then you, if you want to make it fair, that's Brandon Cooks, who's really fast. So sure. can't run as fast as maybe you'd, you'd like in some situations, but he's, I mean, he wasn't that much slower than Cooks. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't me out there. I think it's funny what you said about the PFF thing because I do, you know, it's like I, I have a couple of PFF guys that I like having on the show. I think that they're good, you know, radio guests or podcast guests. This uh, latest guy that I've had this year, Nick Ackridge, does a really nice job. Um, Sam Monson, one of the original guys at PFF, comes on. Eric Eager comes on. But what you just said, like, people will take the grade of Cameron Curl and say, look, he's the second best safety in the league. Well, if you held a draft tomorrow for safeties, he's not going to be the second pick overall. I mean, they're going to be in the top 10 pick. Uh, he probably wouldn't be in the top 10. But I'll tell you what, in this scheme with the front four, with the other safeties, I mean, they're playing three safeties. They're playing, you know, McCain is the slot corner, um, you know, when, when the teams line up a, a slot receiver. I, I, um, he's a good player. I mean, he is a good player. He's a physical player, too, which is one of the reasons I, I really like him. But, you know, I'm a no, commander's hater, so it's hard to compliment to anybody. I don't want to demean Cameron Curl because he's been one of my favorite players on this defense since, his, since right. he started playing a lot as a rookie. I, he, he is impressive. 
you know, his return. Yeah, and, uh, and I don't want to demean PFF because they're just grading it as it should be graded. It's just sure. in the scheme of what they're asking Cameron Curl to do. The degree of difficulty is not the same as maybe what a Derwin James would have. Um, the uh, you you mentioned you know you mentioned a significant event in the turnaround of the defense was them you know saying goodbye to William Jackson the third. I think that's a big deal. Cam Curl came back week three against the Eagles. That was the first week, and I said it on that Monday morning, and I think you said it too that the defense didn't play that badly against the Eagles. They really shut down the run. So I think it's a combination, and Tommy wrote a column about this, it's a combination of Curl's return, it's a combination of Jackson leaving, and you go back to the beginning of training camp when Ron Rivera made the decision to fire Sam Mills, uh, you know, junior or the third or whatever, you know, the, the, the Sam Mills that none of the D linemen really ever cozied up to. I mean, Matt Ioannidis wanted out pretty much year one. Um, he was not a favorite. Um, Coach Z is, and Ryan Kerrigan's become a favorite among the players. All three of those things added up, um, I think, to a defense that we thought we were going to get last year. We thought we were, but we didn't. And now Chase Young might start playing a little bit here and there. Which should be huge for them. Um, yeah, it's just weird. It should be, it should be huge for them it's weird the way they're well, yeah, I mean, it might it might not be huge in week one and two of his return but as he gets back and in rhythm if this defense continues to play the way they are and they continue to win some football games it would be massive as they get closer to the playoffs it's a really great turnaround that they they've put together in the last five weeks how much credit do you give to ron rivera i give a lot of credit to Ron Rivera. I give a lot of credit to Jack Del Rio. I give a lot of credit to Taylor Heineke. I think Heineke, that's the other difference is in, in, in the interim of the defense playing better, the offense is playing better. They might not be dynamic, but here's a great, you mentioned Dallas is one of the best defenses and talent wise they are. And they absolutely are. There's a lot of things about them, but that that's also an offense that's been able to possess the ball, to run the ball, to get first downs, to keep their defense off the field, to not exhaust them, to not to keep offenses or potentially keep offenses one dimensional. That changes what you do on the defense too. And, and Heineke is essentially when Heineke came, came in, the defense is better. And even even further, this is a weird thing, and I'm, I, I don't. I don't know how William Jackson was in the locker room, and I don't know how Carson Wentz was as a, as a leader at the quarterback position. And I, but I do know that I'd heard like there are guys that are disgruntled, and when you're one and four, and obviously that's normal. But with the cohesion being right can change things as well. You don't have a guy bitching and complaining every week like I'm not, I'm a man corner. This is a stupid defense. Why don't they play me where I belong? It makes a, just a shadow of a doubt in what we're doing from a guy like William Jackson, who was a very good player in Cincinnati. A couple of those guys can change the dynamic about how you feel about a game plan. Yeah, so I think the cohesion with with Heineke and with Jackson out and with the with the way they want to do things is is definitely a benefit to them. Without Sam Mills, who I know no one liked on the defensive line, like all that stuff combined, I, you you have to give Rivera a lot of credit. Now, the Heineke thing wasn't a decision because Wentz was hurt. And now I don't think it's a decision because of the way Heineke's playing. 
I think William Jackson made that an easy decision for them. But at the same time, you see teams all the time continue to do things or feel like they're obligated to play guys in a certain way. And, and Ron has not done that this year, and they've found a way to turn things around. It's been, it's been awesome for them. And they do have a chance to win some games down the stretch. Like, I don't see why they can't beat the Giants at least one of the two times. I think they can beat the Falcons. You know, they, they could, we'll see what the Browns are. But it's not going to be an easy – I think they're a team that wins nine games for sure. They are, for those that um, are interested, and I am, because I was looking for this yesterday and I found it last night. Next week against the Giants in their first of back-to-back games against the Giants with a bye week in between, the game's on the road. Washington is favored. Okay, three weeks ago, Washington would have been about a four-point underdog, three- to four-point underdog in the Meadowlands against the Giants. They are now the favored team. What does that mean? It means the boys in the desert understand how good this football team is and how much better it's getting. Um, that that was a big surprise. Uh, Washington's going to end up being favored um, in four straight games. You know, Houston, uh, and then they will be favored against uh, the uh, Falcons this week and then back-to-back against the Giants. Also, one quick thing just to keep an eye on, um, the week of December 17th, 18th, the weekend of December 17th and 18th, there are five NFL games that have been held back from when the schedule was released for a triple header on Saturday. They have not announced it, but I'm guessing right now Washington, New York, which is one of the five games held back, will be a Saturday, December 17th game. Maybe a primetime game, although Miami and Buffalo are, are potential um, is a potential game for that uh, for that day as well. Um, I wanted to read real quickly because you know Arthur Smith. Um, you got to know him when he was here. Arthur Smith is the head coach of the Falcons. And talking about Taylor Heineke today, he said, quote, tough player. I've got an appreciation for a guy who has waited his turn. Reminds me of Ryan Fitzpatrick a little bit. Tougher than hell, not afraid to make any throw. You can see why his teammates love him. He can get out of there and extend plays and hurt you. He did that last year to us. Yeah, his most memorable game, although I would I would submit that the Indianapolis finish this year is his moment. Um, more than any other. But that game against the Falcons last year was a wild game. And the throw that he made after bouncing around in and out and, and throwing to McKissick for the game-winning touchdown, um, that that was probably, I think statistically, it was his best game uh, last year. And it certainly was one of the, the more exciting games of the year. They won that game. It's the most points they've scored with him by a lot. They they won that game 34-30. to th- uh, 30. He had an 88.7 QBR, 127.1 passer rating, um, and he was 23 of 33, three touchdowns, no picks. Five carries for 43 yards. Uh, so, yeah, they got they got to look at him last year. By the way, it's a Kyle Smith game here, but it was a Kyle Smith game last year in Atlanta too, the former GM here. Yeah, well, it's not really a Kyle Smith game. I know, but I'm just I saying it. that Kyle He's Smith not involved know. in the game plan or much of this game in general. Yeah. So. All right. Um, Want to talk about where would you like to start? Uh, I would like to start with what? Where, where did I tell you to start? I'd like to start with you just 
uh, talking more specifically about the defense from the Houston game. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thanksgiving is tomorrow. There's a triple header of games. I've got a smell test uh, pick for tomorrow's pro uh, card. And I have a college pick for the Egg Bowl. You know what the Egg Bowl is, uh, Cooley? You know who plays in the Egg Bowl? Not a clue. Mississippi and Mississippi State play in the Egg Bowl. That's a Thanksgiving night game pretty much every year. Uh, And I like a side in that game. So I'll get to that in the final segment of the show. Um, All right. Uh, I asked you to do a couple things. Do Heineke, do the defense. Uh, I also just wanted you to kind of comment on what Scott Turner's doing with a lot of the pre-snap run game action. Um, And then I wrote down Logan Thomas, too, because I think he finally had a game um, on Sunday. But why don't we take it defense first, then Heineke. Go ahead. Because they allowed five net yards in the first half of the football game. Like, they allowed one first down, one first down, in which they had to hurry up to get a quarterback sneak in a third and one. But that's also not allowing any any first downs on first or second down, which means you allowed zero chunk plays to the Houston Texans. You, you allowed zero big run plays. They essentially shut them down entirely. I mean, go through the first half in, in, in this kind of game, right? Like, I think no players think about this or understand this, but you do. And it, it's a game that Washington should have been favored by seven and a half, especially after watching it play out. But early in the game, you get this tight formation and emotion. Kendall Fuller recognizes that they're going to run a quick out and jumps it, and it's a pick six to start a game with your defense. That is a dagger. I mean, that's an absolute game changer for Washington to to begin this game. Um, It was a huge play by Fuller, who is playing over the last couple weeks so much better. He's much more fluid. He's so much more instinctual. He's not jumping stuff that he shouldn't jump. His eyes and assignment is way on point as opposed to where it was early in the season. And essentially that's the way I see this entire defense is they are in position. They're in position. They are, when they're playing zone, they are in spots to play zone. They're pattern matching incredibly well. They have a very good understanding of what offenses are trying to do to them. And ultimately, because of the D-line play, 
you're not getting that crazy shit down the field where you're like, oh my god, it's a it's four and a half five seconds, and we got to cover everything. And like they can take those chances and jump routes and do things that they need to do because they know the quarterback's going to be flushed or be hit in the pocket. So that that play was huge for them. Uh, the D line, Jonathan Allen is an absolute monster. He he has a bull rush sack in the first quarter of the ball game where he essentially double underhooks the guard, walks him into the quarterback, and takes the quarterback down. Uh, come on, dude! You a double underhook? That's not a pass. That's a move. Yeah. And he just walked him back five yards. He did it later in the game. Uh, um, I I don't know, like a third down play that they got a holding call the the offensive lineman had to hip throw him he's getting pushed back so hard it's like a wrestling move hip throw it's yeah. the easiest holding call of all time yeah, he drew two i think he drew two holding calls in the game he did he drew two holding calls in the game Payne is an absolute beast now he's got a sack in the second quarter just to, and, he, and he's developing some of these like little uh, uh, the sack in the second quarter he has just a quick two-handed swap move when you get guys like Payne and Allen who are that strong, but then can beat you with technique, hands, feet, they're a men- they're menaces. It's it's impossible in that situation. They had a ton of loop stuff. They had a ton of stunt stuff up front. They took advantage of that. Montez Sweat was awesome. He had what two or if two or three sacks in this game. He had two. Allen had two. Was Sweat had two. Payne had one. And they're both both of pain. They're both of uh, sweat sacks were on loop twist plays that he is continuing to move and run. They're not immediate wins, but because they're able to keep the pocket with the with the D tackles on the stunts, he's able to get in there and make plays on the quarterback. Uh, Two Hill played really good. They're shedding blocks. They're or they're getting off of guys. They're making plays in the run game. They're making plays in the backfield. They push and change the line of scrimmage. They're not allowing double teams to get up to their linebackers, who are playing much better right now. I feel like they're so good at this point up front that you get guys like Ridgeway, who's like, I got to show these guys that I'm as big and tough and strong. Like, hey, look, look, guys, I can be great too. Watch me super power slam the running back. Like, I've actually never, I don't know if I've really ever seen that. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah, but I feel like it looks like they're playing and having fun, and I don't think he was doing it to be a violent asshole and try to hurt somebody. I think he's doing it because they're <laughs> they're having fun, and he's trying to show his dudes like I'm a part of this group. Look, look what I can do, boys. Right. Um, it's amazing. I want you to Jeez, just explain to oh. everybody. Um, because I've been thinking about this because, you know, Del Rio's talked about it a bunch. When they're pattern matching in their zone, um, explain to everybody what that means. Okay. So let's envision in, in our, most of the pattern match stuff in a zone comes underneath. There, there's some stuff guys do over the top, but it comes in a lot of the underneath stuff in that 5 to 12-yard range. Right. So I'm, I'll explain like a quarters coverage in a pattern match. So quarters coverage would have four deep players, the corner, safety, safety, corner. They're all going to play a deep quarter of the field. Now the safeties could potentially interchange how they match the middle of the field. If there's a crosser, sometimes 
one of the safeties would essentially cut and run with that crosser, and it would ultimately change what the back end is as quarters, but it, it starts as a quarters coverage. And teams play that differently. But underneath, if there are four deep underneath, there are three underneath. This is a no-blitz situation. You're rushing four. There's three in the middle of the field from five to 12, and then there's four deep. Right. Those three underneath, one's essentially responsible for hook flat on the right. The middle player plays the entire middle from five to 12, and the other players hook to flat on the other side in a lot of these instances. With, right. Well, if, if you have nobody underneath in your zone to the right and somebody's coming out and going back across the field, you essentially become a man defender. You have to look back inside to make sure no one would be coming, but you would essentially lock and play man within your zone on whatever receiver or whatever eligible is coming into your zone. It it is one of those things that's driven me nuts since I started watching the film and watching more defense over the last 10 years and watching Washington and go back to the, when we would joke about Perry Riley, like, you're not a Madden defender. This isn't Matt, like Xbox. Right. You don't just go to a circle and dare them not to throw into the circle. It You become a man defender within your zone right. to some extent. Yeah. So that's what you're saying. You're matching the pattern or the route, but essentially you're a man match defender within your zone. Got it. They're, if that makes sense, you're, you're, you're locking into a man situation. You're, you're saying this is the only possible threat that could come into my zone at this point, so I got to play this threat. Right. Don't just stand there and say maybe you're not. Maybe it, he's not coming into my zone. I'll just, but I'm going to stand here in my zone. He's going to stop just outside the circle. I'm not going to go over and cover him because he didn't reach my zone. <laughs> exactly, and it yeah. really started to change. You know, in the '90s in 2000s and a lot of the Belichick stuff when zone blitz started to integrate into into the NFL and into NFL defenses and some of the hybrid players saying, hey, look, we have to drop guys we don't necessarily want to drop, but we can't shit. We just can't drop them into a circle. Right. Like they're going to have to find a way to match anybody coming into that zone. So that is really how they're pattern matching things. And like I said, you can do it on the back end too in some of the coverages. Right. You know, if, let's say it's a quarter's coverage, right? Imagine two receivers on either side going deep down the field. Right. The one on one side runs a deep crossing route. The other one runs a deep post on the other side. The corner on your side, on the crosser side, doesn't necessarily have anyone deep to defend. So now he's got to look to the other side of the field to match where that post is going to cross and potentially be thrown deep into his zone. As a corner on the opposite side of the field. As a corner on the opposite side. Got you gotta make because sure the, that you don't because have the safeties because the, the safeties have the two inside receivers. Anyone in on the inside the safeties can have, yes. Right. And the, and a lot of times the safety to the near side of the crossing route will end up matching a crossing route, a deep crossing route into a, the the locket. Yeah. So it, it, you just say, hey, like, we're going to lock crossers this week. So th- th- there's a lot of different ways teams play it. There's a lot of different principles about who locks what concepts and what type of routes. Like, we're not going to lock a corner route. If there are two race receivers on the left, the safety on that side isn't going to lock the corner route. They're going to pass those off. 
you can play, you can in and out different things in right. zone coverage and lock. If somebody from inside goes outside, we'll, we'll essentially, on a cross release, we'll abort zone and we'll man lock that within our zone. So there, there are principles within the zone that, based on the initial start of the route or the pattern concept, change the way you're playing zone coverage. And all that explains what Washington is doing a phenomenal job of right now is communicating and understanding the principles within their zone coverages and how they want to play that zone based on the way the offense plays out. In basketball defensively, one of the you know fundamentals of team defense is to really talk. You know, you've got to talk. You've got to communicate with one another. You know, you're 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 switching a screen or in a zone. You're passing off, you know, a wing player into another area. You're constantly talking defensively. Do secondary players are they constantly talking to each other, or do they just have an idea? Um, given that it's a play that's coming right at them. Uh, that you know isn't going to be pushed back outside, and the ball's going to move from side to side. It's a little bit different, but is talking a big thing for defensive secondary players? Yeah, and if it was my secondary, I would want them constantly talking because it's constantly reassuring everyone of where I am, where you are, what you have coming. Alert to your guy. It, it, there's never anything hurting when you're like you, 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 you. You know, me, 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 me. Right. It just—it's that constant reassurance. You don't want to talk late. And you want to see it early, and you want to continue to talk. And I think talking and communicating is huge on on every level when you're when you have a group of guys. Offensive line talking is is massive. Right. You see that. You know, DB yeah. communicating is is absolutely huge. Obviously, you understand, and if you want to do the basketball, you would like you're playing a three-two or a two-three zone. You would like to understand that if somebody's going to kick out on the wing, that one of your lower defenders can kick out and play that. Right. You don't want to have to tell them, like, "Hey, he's he's coming out to the wing. Right? Can you get out there? Make sure you get like you don't want to have to do that, but you can say, I mean, you could sit there and say, "Hey, be ready for this." Essentially, is what I'm doing. You know, here here's what's coming. Here's what's coming. Once you're communicating after he's already kicked out, you're like, oh, "That's too late now." All right, what else on the defense before we get to Heineke? Uh, I mean, we could go through a ton of the game. I mean, essentially they were phenomenal all day on defense. That You know, Curl makes a great play down on the goal line to on that zone read to hold them to a field goal on defense on a second down zone read from the quarterback. It's actually funny because the next play he looks at, they run what Joe Gibbs called a whiz motion, like a back, forth, and then back. And that would have been a touchdown because Jamin Davis did not get there in time to cover the 88 going out in the flat. But then they make a big play. Um, Forrest made a huge play on an interception. Right. And this was really St. Juice. If you watch that play, they're running four verts. They, they have a, one safety in the middle of the field, and that's Forrest. The tight end running up the seam is a 15- to 20-yard completion. I don't know how he doesn't throw that. And, and it's tough maybe because you didn't communicate her enough or somebody didn't put hands on the tight end and essentially gave him free release. But the idea that Forrest right now can... And, and Davis did an okay job holding his eyes down the middle of the field. The idea that Forrest can key eyes and has that range to get there. I know he didn't make a play on the ball, but to get there in time to get a tip pass is really, Good really big. Yeah. And, 
and you're saying as a coach, like, hey, we're going to have to get hands on a tight end because he's free up the scene. That, that is a problem in this coverage, and he should, should have been exploited. But see what happens when you do what we talk, talk about. You know, you key eyes, you make a break, you open your hips and run, and you're rewarded. I know that you weren't there to, to go side, like middle of the field to sideline, but you were there to go what you call red line to red line. You know, he's got the ability to key eyes and run to get red line. And then you start getting turnovers because you're rewarded because you're, you're in position. Right. You know, you're there to make plays. And it's a hell of a play by St. Juice, who's playing great defense right now. Uh, I think the defense is playing with really good eyes. Um, Davis is playing much better. He's, he's much, much better in the run game. He's still got some things that he, he misses. Like he, he's overrunning a, a run action play and he's beat on a keeper play, but really he's playing so much better. You know, ultimately across the board, I think this defense is, is playing much better. You give up a couple things. What, the biggest play was the Cooks crossing route, right? right? Was that the biggest play against Bostic? Yeah. You get into a two-man situation, and all of a sudden, Bostic's got to match Cooks running a crosser. Not what you love. And you're like, you're, hey, Bostic, if you see crosser coming early, you better take a better angle early to that kind of thing. But really, ultimately, when you go back, this defense, when they go back and evaluate this film, they're not correcting a, mis- a bunch of mistakes. And they're essentially building on the way they played. Hey, there, there's some little little things that we can clean up. But ultimately, we just played within ourselves as a defense, and we can grow from this entire thing. I mean, the only touchdown drive they give up is late. They don't have all their starters in. The game's essentially over. I mean, yeah, the odd thing. The odd thing. Mills made a couple big throws. Like Mills made his best throw of the game down the seam uh, to Brandon Cooks, and it was incomplete over Bostic. But that was the like finally he started to let it go, and and made a couple big plays. Yeah, I was going to say. I did have two questions for you on the on this game defensively as I go through the rest of this. But to wrap the defense before the questions, it they played within themselves. Del Rio did a really good job, you know, changing coverages between and what they can play well between two, three, and four. He got home with some of the blitzes when they brought five. They got home with some of the blitzes, and they put their guys in good position to win throughout the entire day. It was it was it was excellent. Here's here's a couple of questions to you. Um, maybe just one. The third drive of the game, Allen gets held. I think that's where he gets hip tossed, or they draws a holding. Okay. On a third and one, at the thirty-four yard line, they decline the penalty to go to a fourth and one. Um, was that the ineligible downfield? What You're... was that? Uh... It's, it's in the first. Order of this game, I, I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, gets- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it, well. First of all, that poor uh, Kenyon Green, the the first rounder from Texas A&M, the guard that just got destroyed uh, by Allen um, all day. Yeah, they they had a fourth and one, and Washington declined the holding penalty and, and essentially said, "Go ahead and go for it from your own 34. See how that works out for you." And they didn't do it. They punted. Well, the only reason I don't. I don't think it was. It was a long one. It was a long one. It was a long one. They are going to punt, but you're going to let them punt from the 34 yard line instead of go to a third and 11. Where are they? I mean, maybe they're going to run a draw play or a screen play, and you don't want to get beat on an easy play. But 
gosh, if they drop back and throw it, it's a great turnover opportunity, and essentially you're pushing them back 10 yards of field position. Do you really think Davis Mills is going to beat you on a third and 11? I think it's I think it's a really good point because I think the context of the game, because I, I, I talked about this on Monday because I tweeted it out at 7 to nothing, and it was after Houston's, I think, second drive. I'm like, this game's over. you know, And I, I, I hesitated to do that because – it was so early, but it was so apparent that Houston was not going to have a chance offensively to score points. And so to your point, they would have punted from right around the 17-yard line, their own 17, or I'm sorry, they would have had third and 18 from their own 17-yard line. Are they going to get 16 yards back to the fourth and one? No, they're probably going to end up with an improved position in terms of, 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 of where Houston's punting from. So, yeah, you're right. They probably should have taken right, the penalty. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't a third and one. It was a third and seven, and they declined the penalty, right? Third right. and six. Yeah, third and eight. Third and eight. Third and, and eight. Yeah, third and eight, and they got seven yards. That's what it says on the play-by-play sheet. I'm looking at the play-by-play sheet. That's exactly right. Great job by Curl coming up and making a tackle there to force a fourth and one. Uh, was but that third was, and eight? Four, third and eighteen. Yeah, they're, push, they're, I, I would just push them back and taking the field position. They're not getting the third and eighteen. I think. I, I think offense. one of the they're things. I think one of the things you think of as a coach in those situations is, given this day and age of almost anything getting flagged, they're they're not going to pick up a third and eighteen. Good, good point. But you could get an illegal contact. And it's like, are you kidding yeah, me? They, they were going to punt it on fourth and one. Um, you said you had two questions. Do you have another one? Well, I mean, the other the other point, I guess, or the other thing thinking about this. Yeah, on the other side is okay. So on third and eighteen, if we don't come after them, which I would have done, are we going to give up a ten yard throw to get back to a fourth and eight to essentially close to where it would have been anyways? Right. I don't know. I would have pushed them back, but I I, I understand completely. Yeah, I mean, I just would have come. I would have come after him with six, and said, "You're not going to be like you. You're just not going to beat us right now." Well, the other thing too is offensively, you had gone three and out, three and out, and punted, and you had a near interception on the first drive. So field position, it was going to be kind of a field position game. So I would have considered it for sure. I have a question for you before you get to Heineke. Um, in in watching the all twenty two, which I didn't do as intently this week as I did la- uh, the Monday night game. Um, I think what's interesting to me is how you see in, you know, whether it's their quarters coverage or cover two, because sometimes I have a difficult time distinguishing between the two. Um, you are, you know, you've got their, you got their basic four, three front and they, Del Rio mixes it up between Curl and McCain. Now, Forrest is really never down there as the third linebacker. Um, it's pretty much exclusively, you know, it's Bostic Day or Sunday, Bostic Davis in either Curl or Kane. Now, Kane, uh, McCain. Now, McCain is the is the third corner. They don't bring in a third corner. He covers the slot receiver when they go uh, to three receivers or more. Um, but who's better in the box, Curl or McCain? Because I think McCain all of a sudden, has become a really good in-the-box safety, too. I think Curl's better in the box than McCain. I think I would much rather have Curl in the box, and it must be a debate of would we rather have Curl over the top, or is it because we want to play different zones with McCain? But 
to me, it's, it's curls more instinctual and, and quicker at reacting to throws underneath. Like one of the first downs they got on a third and eight or third and nine, something like that. It was a third and eight. You know, McCain's late driving on a ball and you get a, a first down. They, they were backed up at that time. You know, I, I don't think Curl gets beat that way. I think McCain's less instinctual underneath than Curl. But maybe the question is, you know, do you want to give up one or two third and eights and potentially have a playmaker over the top or give up nothing over the top? I would, I would, I would to me, it would be Curl underneath. The other thing, too, is I just, know. I think, right. you know, I think there this is good coaching because – they just made the decision that their best players are going to be on the field. Now, Holcomb's out. We understand that. But if Holcomb was here, they're still only playing two linebackers. They're playing three safeties every single defensive snap. Every single defensive snap, Forrest, McCain, and Curl are out there. How many teams in your, you know, just off the top of your head, play three safeties and play a safety as a linebacker, we know the hybrid position. We we understand the hybrid position. Um, Landon Collins played a lot of it last year. But how many teams play that exclusively for every single defensive snap? I don't know. I think the thing the thing is is that wasn't the intent. The intent was really to play St. Juiced in the nickel, and then right. Let William Jackson go, and you're saying, is McCain better than Danny Johnson, Jeremy Reeves, Percy Butler, or Wild or Rashad Wild Goose? And the, and the answer is yes, clearly. The answer is that, that, they that think McCain so. is better, and so you're you are playing three guys that are designated as safeties. Yeah, but when they're playing three guys, he's a nickel <laughs> slot corner. Yeah, or he's a he's a you know. You know, a, a buffalo nickel or or a linebacker. I mean, this is the thing that Colin. Yeah. Well, he's lining it's up as a Belichick. A, I give. I don't care what it says on paper. Right. If it says FS next to him, right. he's now a he's now an NB. Yeah, I mean, on on, <laughs> on first downs against you know against uh, twelve personnel, they're 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 a linebacker. I mean, Curl is a linebacker. McCain's a linebacker. You see it. It's a base 4-3 defense with three linebackers. You know, Davis, Bostic, and either Curl or McCain. Um, you know, they're not playing a, a receiver at that point because you don't have the third receiver on the field. All right, let's get to Heineke. All right, Taylor Heineke, Kev. You want to start with the good, the, uh, the bad, which was limited, the misses. Where do you want to start? Wherever you want to start. I don't want, want, want to fire this thing off. However you want to start. The overall, the overarching theme, you know, what, what do you want to do here? Whatever you want to do. It's up to you. All right. Here's the overarching theme on Heineke. 15 to 27, 191 yards. He didn't have to be special in this game. He really didn't have to do anything in the second half. One thing that I didn't love was that they didn't just put it on Houston in the second half. Put his what? I'm I think sorry. They had opportunity. I didn't get that. that what they did you... didn't. Uh, that they didn't just put it on Houston in the second half. Right. Uh, you know, they they would have had a ton of opportunities. It would have been a game I think they could have had a ton of fun and probably put up, you know, 30-plus points. And really, they shut it down a lot in the second half. I mean, they had the couple third and three and outs early, but to me, the way it was playing out was you had a, a lot of opportunities 
opportunities to get the ball down the field. Houston is not very good on either side of the ball, to be honest with you. I mean, they're terrible on offense. But again, you're up 20 to zero or 20 to three, what? And you know Houston can't score. Right. So what do you want to do? Right. So essentially, this is mostly a Taylor Heineke first half evaluation. There's it's it's pretty limited in the second half, but I have that, and we'll get to it. Well, no, that's fair. I think I think I think you're right. I mean, I think they they were def, definitely they they understood that there was literally no chance for Houston to score the twenty that they had scored in the first half unless they gave them the ball. You know, and 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 they they scored on defense, so they they played it more conservatively. I, I hear you. All right, go ahead. All right, so I think this was his first completion, but this is a big time throw. He throws a deep in that everyone calls a dagger, but it's a deep in route to Terry McLaurin. I think they probably call it a four route, the way it plays out. I think that's how they do. But he he's in between the numbers and the hash. The safety in the middle of the field sucks up probably more than you'd expect him to, but Heineke does a really good job getting this out in timing to not lead him into that safety who's hung down there too long. And they get a big completion um, to Terry McLaurin. Right after that, he throws a great ball to John Dotson um, on a comeback to his left side. It's a 13-yard completion. This is awesome by Heineke, though, just subtly sliding left in the pocket to create just a little bit more time because Dotson's running, which should be you know an 18 to 20-yard comeback. It takes a second to get that ball out and get that route run. And Heineke just subtly just moves, slides in the pocket, and delivers a heck of a ball. It's a really good route by John Dotson as well. Um, there's a second and five, and this was one of my. This is a little play, but I lo- I love this. And his offensive line loves this, and his coaches love this. And 2.59 left in the second quarter. It's a second and five. There ends up being an illegal contact called down the field on Terry McLaurin. He sits there at about six yards in the pocket. He's looking at McLaurin. He turns it down because McLaurin's getting tackled 14 yards down the field and then stays just tight, compact, composed in the pocket and throws a crosser to Logan Thomas in the middle of the field. And it's Fucking awesome, man. That's how you win games. <laughs> and, and take out of account that, that it's a penalty. Right. I think the play didn't even count. Well, we, but we're, McCor- we're, if, if, if McLaurin, he, he sees McLaurin doesn't win, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Let's say McLaurin falls down. Or it's just great D. Did you say 259 <laughs> left in the second quarter? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm looking for that play. I want to see that play. But he just sits there, right? Like, he doesn't panic. He doesn't flush. He doesn't move. And one of the questions I have, to some extent, on Heineke, but he's answering it more and more, is, and I wrote this down before I started any of this, does he have to scramble or go off script to work his third and fourth read? Or can he keep himself alive and keep himself composed in the pocket? And there are three or four times in this game that he proved exactly that. And this is one of them. And I think it was a second and five. It ends up being a four-yard completion. I don't think they get the first down, but they take the illegal contact. Right. But this is great. He throws a deeper corner route to Logan Thomas down to his, on, the, on the left side. He, it's, it's great. The, again, subtle hop step left in the pocket yeah. to, to 
create throwing lane and get himself away from trouble, and then does a phenomenal job of flattening that ball to where only Logan Thomas can get it. And it's picture perfect how you want to throw and run a corner out. If Logan Thomas gets about 10 yards and he sets a higher angle up the field towards the corner, and then he can come back down flat to get that ball and give Heineke an opportunity, but it's a, it's a perfect ball. Um, I, I love that. Yeah, I know, uh, I know which one you're talking quarter, about. Go ahead. Sorry. Late late in the second quarter, they go with a gun run action play. The Texans bring a, a blitz, and they bring a corner off the edge or a nickel off the edge, and Logan Thomas picks him up, and then they bring a backer in the middle of the field. And somehow Robinson ends up trying to help the guard on a D-tackle. He's got a shot down the field to McLaurin, but he understands he can't get that ball thrown. And Robinson never gets off. It's a free hitter for the linebacker coming up uh, on Heineke's right side in the B-gap. And he does this little jump back throw to get it to Logan Thomas. Again, short, takes a hit. Oh, yeah, I know this which one you're talking huge, about. Yeah. man. It's a huge deal. Like, these are little... Like, they don't always result in huge plays. And I think this one ended up... Logan got them run after the catch on this thing. But to be able to survive... Take a look down the field. Truly take the look down the field. And then, oh, i got to get rid of it. Boop. Jump back. He's really good at any, like, if you look at this one again, he could have sat there and just got blown up. But he's good at absorbing the contact, so he's not taking that big hit. Yeah. He's an athlete. And I'm not talking about just physically athletic. He's just got really good, you know, coordination, feel, vision, you know, the ability to, I mean, you'd hate to be playing two-hand touch with him in the backyard. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He would do great at that Zorn drill where they swung the bats or the (laughs) pool floaties at the quarterback. Right. It's McLaurin deep right um, in the back end, getting hit again later in the second quarter. Um, Really, really good. Uh, By the way, that, was, that, 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 that play I thought was really, really interesting because I think they had a holding penalty on that, and so they had like a first and 20. And, you mm-hmm. know, he threw something to Gibson short, but they were still like second and 15. And these are the down and – like, unlike Monday night, they did not have great down and distances in this game. You know, they didn't have the six third and ones, the four third and twos. And they overcame first and 20. And the, and the throw I think you're talking about where he got nailed was a second and 14 throw. First down, move the chains. Big time throw. Getting hit, and it's a strike to Terry. Yeah. Another great corner out to Logan Thomas. Um, 17-yard throw in a hurry-up situation. The old Apache, the, the, the Apache call. Is that what Gruden called it? Apache was their hurry-up code. Uh, he throws a dig at the end of the second half to Sims oh, down yeah. the field. Um, I, this was one of my favorite throws in the game. And, again, it, it's probably, I don't, I don't know, 15 to 18-yard completion to Sims. Yeah. Houston's playing a soft shell defense, way soft. And it is they're enticing in, in that hurry-up mode. They're just enticing the quarterback to throw the ball short and try to get out of bounds and get six yards or see if we can tackle him and keep him in bounds. And I love that he truly reads out and gets the second-level throw, and he makes a window throw to Sims instead of just taking the easy underneath throw. 
He does a, he does a great job looking at the underneath throw and holding that underneath coverage to make them move, moving the coverage to then create a window to throw the ball down, down the field to Sims. It was, it was really, really good. Um, the rest of the good second half. There's a run action pass in the second half where he's got a, he's, he's also getting blown up. He's got pressure in the face and he makes this nifty little sidearm off the, off the side of his body throw to Logan Thomas. Um, Bates got blown up on the protection and he's still a big completion to Logan Thomas. Uh, and then one of the last things I wrote is a second 14 in the third quarter and he ends up scrambling for four yards. I think he had a chance to throw. It's a it, or it's a third and fourteen. I think he had a chance to throw it. Nope, second fourteen. I think he had a chance to throw the ball down the field. But it's like, okay, now we're going to be smart. We're not going to force one. We don't have to force one. Right. We're going to scramble for four yards. Get to a third and ten. They throw a screen play that they end up getting to a fourth and one, and Robinson gets the first down. It's like, okay, let's just get us four or five to get into third and something that we can manage. Or third and something, we can throw a screenplay. Let's not take a sack. Let's not get out of field goal range here. Let's just take the four yards that we can get. Now, I think he maybe missed a corner out to base on, on a kind of a honey hole type of throw. But at the same time, maybe that corner takes one step back right when he lets it go, bails, does a jump catch, you throw a pick. Like he was smart with the ball there. So I thought that was really good. I mean, ultimately, the good's pretty good for Heineke. He still makes, you know, several or eight. Really good throws, but to me, with a, with it's even better is he's really starting to show a lot of poise in the pocket. Okay. The the, the misses the, the the bad. There's not a lot of bad in this game. Okay. The 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 bad is really I think his first throw of the game. He throws a ball on a go route down the middle of the field or a seam route to Terry McLaurin down the middle of the field. It's off script. I, there's no way he's going to throw this. If Terry keeps running, Terry ends up kind of making contact with the defender at about eight, 16 to 18 yards with the safety and then stops. It could have been a pick. There's no doubt about that. But I don't think he can even get that. If Terry doesn't stop, I don't think he can throw it far enough. <laughs> like, it had to be a 60-yard ball. At the, and I, I looked at it four or five times. If Terry just avoids which Heineke off script thinks he's going to. Right. I don't think he's got the arm to get it down the field to McLaurin. It's still going to be a jump ball. And I guess that's fine. If me and you were sitting here and we're coaching this team, and you're like, hey, Terry's turned free one-on-one to safety. Let's underthrow it. If it's underthrown a little bit, who's going to get it? And we're coaching the team saying, well, Terry's going to get it. Right. Um. The fourth drive, he has a high-low read on his right side. Um, ends up scrambling. He, I think he had a, a definite shot to throw a corner out again. Um, he throws a bad ball on the opposite side to Dotson running a, a crosser. And this, this is an overthrow, kind of off script. Uh, interception opportunity on this one as well. But I thought he did he a really good job on that play to extend, to give, give him a chance to he convert. did. He didn't have to. I guess. I guess where I think it's um, where I wrote it and misses is not that he overthrew Dotson as much as I think he has a chance to throw the corner out okay. on his right side that he looked at. Uh-huh. They have a keeper to the right side of the field, and it's a bounce ball to Terry McLaurin on a 15-yard comeback yeah, or right. a run back to the ball on a keeper. Um, 
just didn't get enough on that ball. He has a zone read pull um, second goal yeah. um, in the second quarter. I, he, I'm not sure if he went into baller mode or just he wanted to score. But you freeze frame that when he gets outside. There are you can freeze frame it into a V of five Texans defenders, and then essentially yeah. only Heineken. That's that's the like, first and goal uh, play when it's. Um, that was after he made that uh, that that good, good dump off to to Gibson to get down there, and then it was not a good read. By the way, no. if you if you notice that uh, that play, and I'm just pulling it up right now. So they do have Logan, you know, coming in motion as a blocker. So you is it a zone read or is it a keeper yes. all the way? It's a zone read. Okay. So he's got he's got Logan coming over to block for him. Um by the way on on a play that started with an unbalanced line it looks like to the to the opposite side. Yeah, they did unbalance a couple times in this game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was a that was a give. What about? <laughs> give, yeah, yeah, that's give a, all day. That, that's a give. What's all day. funny is he had another zone read late later in the game in the third quarter that he probably should have pulled. You know, but I understand it at that point where you're like, uh, last time I pulled it and got out there, <laughs> nine guys tackling me. You know, it's interesting. On Friday, we talked about, and you said, look, there are 4-3 defense. You're going to see a lot more of Turner. You know, for all the people that have been saying, you got to get him outside. You got to move him. You got to move the pocket. You got to have some zone read. And you're like, well, you couldn't do that against Philadelphia. And, you you know, it was harder against Minnesota with those two outside players in Hunter and Smith. Well, we did get him on the move a lot more on Sunday. You were right about that. But what's interesting. It wasn't there, though. No, it wasn't. It wasn't there at all. By the way, I've got a question about that when you get to that, if you do. But um, so the zone read stuff, you know, they've had it in the offense. They had it last year. I think he makes a lot of bad decisions on on read options. I don't think he reads it well. He didn't. In fact, the team they're playing this weekend, Atlanta, last year in that Atlanta game, they had a couple of short yarded situations, which were clear read options, and he made the wrong decision on two of them. On one of them, he'd still be running, but he 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 the the the, the DN crashed down right into Gibson. I think it was Gibson. It may have been McKissick. I forget. And on this one, it's definitely a keep the ball in Gibson's gut. He runs into five guys. Um, all right, continue because uh, I want to. I want to hear about the third well, goal play. Like, you, you asked me to do some of the run game, so I'll, I'll save a couple of zone read ideas for, the, for okay. what they have in the run game. But did, what about the um, third goal here, where Logan Thomas? I thought if he gets rid of it with touch early, it's a touchdown. Did you see it that way or not? Yeah, but the, here's the reason he can't. I did, and this is actually not a bad play. It is in the missed list, um, but they're running an out outside of Logan Thomas, and Logan Thomas is running the corner out, and it's really into cover two. If he gets rid of it, and he, he's got to ensure that the cornerback is going to take the five-yard out route. If the cornerback out, outside falls off, it's a pick. Mm. I see what you're so saying. So I think he does a, good, a really good job holding the corner and ensuring. And I'm not, he's not, the way it's read out, he's not sitting there looking at the out route to throw the corner. Like, if the cornerback sloughs off, he's throwing the out route. You're reading that corner as that you would write number one on the corner. And I got it. Like I got it. The read. 
is the corner. Yeah. Um, it had to be perfect is the thing. The ball just had to be absolutely perfect. Yeah, if he's the – I think it's a miss, and I think it could have come out an instant earlier. And if he truly knew, hey, when they're in cover two in the red zone, that corner will hold on the out route. He's going to. I know it. I've seen it. He had to hold it just a, a not even a half a second too long. Which many well, couldn't really throw that. it with touch, or Logan Thomas would have caught it out of bounds. Right. And that's that ball, I mean, I, I've been in this offense. This is Al Saunders. That, that's really a, a, what you call like a crash corner, like the corner is going to hard, hard crash roll and hard crash to outside about 13 yards. It, that ball does not come on you with touch very often. That ball is driven on you. Well, then it's just too high. Yeah, it's, it's high, and if it's a millisecond earlier, it could have been driven on him where he could make the play. Right. Okay. I, I, get, I get it with the corner, why he had to wait. Uh, watching it, at, it, it initially, I was like, if that thing comes out with touch to that corner, that's six. And I thought he held it too long. But you're saying he, he's got to hold the corner or the corner falls off there, and it could be a pick. Yep, got it. A couple okay. other, and I mean, he misses the throw in the third quarter on a third and two to Bates. It's an unbalanced offensive line. They do the oh shit tight end play. Bates doesn't sell it long enough, and he—that's another one. He's got to make a tough throw across the field. Um, it's uh, the other thing about it. If you can think of that play on a third and two in the third quarter, it is a shitty gun run fake. You got to hold him longer, and that gun run fake is just not enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a tough throw. It's a miss, but it's a it's a very tough throw, and uh, it's also Bates has got to delay it a little bit longer. Like when you really want to for the tight ends, when you really want to do that uh, oh shit play, the best way to do is really step down and really try to block the deep tackle inside of you hard enough that it makes you fall down. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and then, and then you get up off his knee and run. Once once defenders see a tight end fall down, they disregard him. They fall down. <laughs> so you can even do a, You can even do a belly roll. Right. You got ton, all. It's a one man show. It's you. Your job is to sell the job. To sell the deal. Not not great by baseball. I miss. And then really, oh, he fumbles a gun snap that hits him in the hands. Not good. Right. They kill the drive. And then there's a third and ten in the fourth quarter. They're up twenty three to three. All right. He's trying to really take a look down the field again. Houston's very soft. All he's got to he just throw a swing to Gibson. Just throw the swing. He he probably actually gets it on the third and ten. I mean, I get it. The the but the game's over. You don't want to throw a pick. If you throw the swing and you get six, you punt. The game's still over. Right. Like we don't re, like. You're taking the token look down the field. Is this the play where he just where he comes off it off of it and throws to Turner incomplete? Yes. Yeah. He okay. throws incomplete to Turner. Yeah. Because he was really, really looking hard down yes, the field he to was. his right side. You can see that. And he's looking to make the throw down the field. And honestly, if it's a critical situation and he makes the throw down the field, I think he's got a shot. It's but in this situation, risky. I just think know, know where you're at. Like you, You're the starter now. You don't have to make every throw, and you don't have to make every play. And this is a great trust-the-process throw. Hey, take the token look, get it, get it into Gibson's hands, right. and 
they're going to be soft. Maybe he makes one or two miss and he gets a first Yeah, because Gibson's the, the check down there, not, not uh, Turner. Well, Turner's also a check down. I know, but Gibson's he, he is, the better option. Yeah, I would agree with that. And again, it, it should have just been quick. You know, before he gets too wide and doesn't have room, you take the look, you let the linebackers drop two to three yards and give Gibson space to make a play. Right. But, I mean, overall, the other thing you look at, like, there's some smart plays he makes, too. You know, there are a couple keeper plays, like, everybody that wants just keeper, like, it wasn't there. He had to throw a couple of them away. Uh, there's a really smart throw Keep, in the keeper, second quarter. Keeper meaning bootleg for those that don't bootleg. see it. Sorry, I, that's my I'll t- I'll t- I know, but my Cooley, here's, here's my question about their bootlegs. There isn't a hard sell on the run. No. Uh-uh. Why not? No, I hated and, and and I hated the way they set it up. Like a couple of the, a couple of them, are gun plays where you're really not holding guys. No, I mean there's just not enough of. You don't see the ball. The gun plays you see the ball the entire time. Right, but I'm talking about there's, under center. There's one or two. Now, under center, there's one or two where instead of going with the hard zone action, and they run zone from under center. Right. They go with a fly sweep motion and they fake pitch to the fly sweep guy, and it's like. I agree. No, just stop, like, let him extend the ball and put it in the running back's stomach and pull it. <laughs> yes. Hide the ball. Yeah. Why do they do it that way? I, I'm not sure, but, man, if I was a quarterback and we're going to go fake fly sweep pitch stuff, first of all, I wouldn't fake the pitch. I would fake the, I would full fake the handoff. Mm-hmm. I'd delay my fly sweep motion just a little bit. So you really, they really believe like they're going to tackle the guy on the end of the line of scrimmage. He's not going to get the edge, but I would I would show the ball as a handoff, not fake pitch it. Totally agree. And, it, it did nothing, and even more it. like just use the fly sweep motion as as a full decoy. But this also gets into the point with some of the zone reads and stuff. Like if you got to show, you can't show misdirection in your run action pass. Like we could run this way, we could fly sweep this way, but now we're booting this way. Like, no, you want to show everything one way. Like, if you don't hit the fly sweep that way, you want the run action fake also going the same. Everything should be going left if you're going keeper right. Right. Don't show running back right, fly sweep left, because even if you've confused them, you've confused them enough that you haven't moved them. Yeah, I agree. They're not displacing or moving guys in their keeper game. No, they well, they didn't. That's why the keepers, the bootlegs didn't work. Because the defense wasn't flowing in the opposite direction when he came back the other way. It's also why the zone read stuff didn't work. And we talked about the one that he should have put in Gibson's gut in the third quarter. Well, they're running Samuel on fly sweep action to where he's going to pull it. And essentially, you drag another defender across the well, field. Well, not on the one with, with Logan. Samuel. Not on the one with Logan Thomas pulling and leading the way on the block. There was no Samuel on that one. No, but they do this a lot for directions and it's, you want to pull everyone out of where yeah. you want to go in my opinion no i get it i mean it's funny because we've talked about this for three weeks running about getting them out on the edge moving them and they did do that but i don't think that they're doing it the right way uh well i shouldn't say that on the bootleg stuff it's just an odd way to run bootleg because to your point you you have to show like you're gonna you're gonna go outside zone, stick it in the back's gut, and have everybody going one way, and then come back the other way with 
you know, a, a short and a medium level receiver. Okay. It's whatever. I mean, it's what uh, it. I I watched the 49ers play the last couple of weeks, and, and Kyle's running a lot of motion misdirection stuff and gun boot, and it's not. It doesn't work the way Mike ran it. Yeah. Mike was great. Sell run. Sell this way. Sell him this way. Defenses are dumb. Defensive players are not brilliant. Like mm-hmm. if all action motions going that way and then you know, then we're blocking it that way, they'll go that way. Tell them where to go. I mean okay, like great example of and I this wasn't a keeper. The first throw of the game that was an interception opportunity. They're really trying to throw the the twelve yard in or the dig or what we always call the drive concept. The twelve yard in away from run fake. The run fake is non-existent. So now the backers are dropping into that twelve yard in. If you don't get them to step up a step, yeah, you've got you can't it. throw a twelve yard in behind them. Right. One step. If they take one step up, you don't even look at them. It's over. And I don't think that Heineke is a guy that you have to have see the whole play. Like, you're afraid sometimes when they're turning their back to a play that they don't see it. But I think he's a guy that sees it. I mean, fuck, Robert Griffin threw that, that concept the first play of the game 83 times for 1,300 yards. You're just trusting that the run action is going to pull the backer. Right. you got to pull the backer up, though. All right. What Maybe you... he was going to keep it, but he's not going to drive on him. What else so, you got? That, I mean, ultimately, though, Heineke was, again, he was he was good. He was, he was more subtly good. But I think he was smart in a lot of times, and I think he made made great decisions throughout. I also think he's a guy that's tough to fool. And you had mentioned a quick throw out to Gibson in the flat later in the second quarter in a two-minute drill. That's a hot throw. Yeah. I and mean, he's got – he knows he's hot, and he's – boom, it's immediate. His decision process, his anticipation, his understanding of what's going on around him is, is excellent right now. Great. Play good ball. Great. Playing starter quarterback ball over the last few weeks. Great. B plus. Okay. Right, that's where I was. B, B plus. Uh, Logan Thomas is pretty simple. Um, I thought he looks way more fluid. Like, you can see he's healthier. Uh, I had... Uh, a much better ability to stretch the field and do what Logan does is, is vertically get down the field. And then really three of the catches were excellent hands catches or four. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, yeah, he went and made great catches for his quarterback. Hands catcher. He's got him way out there too. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's a nice compliment to what they're doing. I mean, we talked about this early in the year and, Said, man, you got Curtis Samuel and John Dotson and, and Terry McLaurin. But really, this offense right now, the way I look at it, aside from what you're doing in the run game and Gibson, is Terry's one. Logan Thomas is probably two. Curtis Samuel is a great mix in with some of the reverse stuff and some of the niche stuff in third down situations. But he hasn't shown that he's he's the true guy that you can deliver it to. Uh, and then Jahan Dotson, is, they got to continue to find ways to get him the ball, get him down the field. That's, that's one step that I'd like to see is Dotson really developing as what he was at Penn State as a, as a true vertical stretch the field threat. Right. Uh, but, you know, this offense has is, is been better in so much that 
Terry McLaurin is now the primary receiver. Right. Like it, it's crazy that it took him five weeks to figure out, hey, we're really good when he touches the ball ten times a game. Well, the rest only, of it opens up. Yeah, he only touched it four on Sunday, but still, they they didn't need any, they need it anymore. Yeah, seven targets. Yep, something like that. Yep. Um, but yeah, Logan Logan is a very nice compliment to what they're doing on offense. And I can say all I want, like, man, he's not a true one-on-one matchup problem. And he, he he's not. But at the same time, I, I, I got to remember, I wasn't. I was in this offense. Now it's it's different the way some of it is, but this style offense, the Turner, the old school Gibbs, the Al Saunders, is be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. That's Logan Thomas. Yep. All right. Finish it up with whatever I asked you to do. What was it? The run game and the action and oh, all. Oh, you want to talk about the run game? The first, here's the first thing I, I I like about the run game. I'm I still I'm not sure why it's not more Gibson. I agree. It, and it, well, obviously it was. I, I understand that it was more more Gibson. Yes, Sunday right? he was. had 18 carries to, to Robinson's 15 carries, and it's it's again it's a it's a run game that gets 3.8 yards per carry against a defense that's giving up the run pretty easily. I I it was a and I said this to you Friday. It's, Rinse, repeat, and essentially you're going to utilize the same run game and you're going to disguise it with different formations and motions. That's exactly what they did. I mean, they, they, they run inside-outside zone. They complement with some counter stuff. They ran less counter stuff because the 4-3 defense is not a defense that you run as much counter. It's hard to get guys up to the linebackers when you're running a lot of pullers. So you're, you're against a true 4-3, I'm going to be way heavier as a zone run team, especially when I, I run a lot of zone. Um, and that's really what they did. I think it was it was a really nice compliment to mix in Samuel on a couple of those little fly sweep plays, to mix in some of the reverses. They had a drive where they went two reverses, you know, within the band yeah. four plays. Um, those plays aren't always going to get you a ton of yards. Sometimes they will. But it's it's great when you use that motion and that stuff to always have it viable. Like, hey, we gotta we gotta account for it. They can do it. Um, I think that the running backs missed some stuff. You know, I think that Gibson missed a couple in the second half of this game that really could have had better runs. Okay. Um, one on a second and two. Which I don't think he got. He misses a front side hole that's that's really easy, easily there, and, and he doesn't just hit it hard. There's a a zone play for you or for anyone. They had a ten yard shovel on a first and down, first and ten to Samuel, or a shovel play. Mm-hmm. The next play, they run outside zone left. They bring both tight ends to the left side, and they run the outside zone left. Gibson stretches it all the way to the edge of the outside zone, and it's almost a no game. This is the most defined cutback for eight yards of all time. Like, you're running outside zone until you can't get outside. Well, he's never getting outside. Right. The cutback was there all day. Like, just hit the fucking cut, or hit the cutback. Mm-hmm. 
I want to I want to find that play. I want to see that because this is some of the stuff that PFF said, you know, last year why they didn't grade him as high and I thought he got better at it. And you said, you know, his his rookie year that he he's he's missing a lot. He doesn't have a feel for it. Which There's a second and two. The first one is a second and two. There's seven minutes and 18 seconds in the third quarter. He gets a one-yard gain. I think he has a miss in in that particular play. Okay, I'll find it. You keep going. Uh, the next one is a first and 10 with two minutes in the third quarter. It's a, a negative four-yard run play. I think it's, it's potentially an eight- to ten-yard run play where it's open to make that cutback, and the cutback is, should have been early and it should have been easily defined to him. I still think his ability to bounce runs and outrun the defense is awesome. I thought early in the game, you know, he does see lanes and he hits things hard. And I like when you just make a decision and hit it hard. Um, it's just, it's amazing when you, you're coaching young backs, like, Make the decision, trust it, hit it hard, and more times than not, you're on that second level making plays. And then I would say when I watch both these backs, the biggest difference right now is at contact or near contact. Gibson's making a cut, a move, lowering his shoulder. He's He is going to be the decision maker at contact. He's going to make the decision for the defense. Robinson's pausing too much uh, at, at contact. Like, can I do something else here? No, he makes it work, and he's going to get three or four yards at times because he's strong enough that he absorbs the contact a little bit, and then he's able to drive. But until he is more decisive at that moment of contact or moment at the second level, he's not going to get big runs. Right. Got to be more decisive. He did have a nice run on the fourth and one, the offset deal, where he bounces it out to the left, but he didn't even have to bounce that on fourth and one. It opened up that he could have just drilled it up in the hole. What do you think about Samuel as a, um, as a runner? So I, I like Samuel as a runner, as a mix-in runner. Right. I, I like I like being able to mix in Samuel. I like that compliment of, are we going to use him out of the backfield as a receiver? Is he a back? What are we going to do with him? How are you going to play coverage? They don't use it enough that it's, if I'm, if I'm coordinating against it, it's it's not enough that it's going to scare me to death. Um, I think he made a couple decisions. There was a fly sweep early in the game that he could have got to the outside, but he cuts back and gets less yards. He does have the nice fly sweep or For whatever he had on the on the touchdown run. That, that he makes a really good cut there uh, and sets up Leno to really bounce it outside. He holds him long enough, but. I, 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 if you're going to give a receiver a ball two to three times a game, he's not always going to make the right decisions as a runner. Okay, he's not going to be as fluid and have that feel as a runner. And that, I, get, I always defer to Clinton Portis on this. And this was Clinton's, Clinton's standby: is man, if you're not going to continue to get me carries, I, I'm not going to get into a feel of a game. So you got to get him into the feel of a game. But I, what's funny is the Gibsons. I thought two worst runs were after he had quite a few carries in the first half. Yeah. So. Um, okay. I mean, good stuff. Do you have anything else in your notes that you want to mention? 
I don't have anything else in my notes that I want to mention, but the, the last thing that I want to mention is uh, really what's, to me, uh, indicative of a good football team is a team that soundly beats a team that they're better than. They didn't have to be do anything crazy. They made plays that they had to make. They played excellent defense, and they soundly beat Houston. Like, uh, watching the game and watching the film and watching everything – Jonathan Allen had a sack somewhere in the middle of the third quarter. Mm -hmm. I wrote while I was watching the game, game over. It's done. It the game over. was over. I thought it was over in the first quarter. Uh, you, 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 you never know. Oh, God. They, uh, the, the, cover the, over. Third quarter, the cover was over, too. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So that is that is that fair to you? If yeah. I were to text you right there, no, I mean I took, I, Washington, took Washington minus. It's over. You'd have said, "Oh no, it's never over." No, no, no. The that that one, over. that one, and I and I talked about this Monday. Every once in a while, as a football fan, we're all football fans. You get this sense: there's no chance for the other team. And I felt that way after Houston's second or third offensive drive. And it was seven to nothing on the Fuller pick six. And the offense, by the way, had done nothing at that point. You know, they had punted three times. So I, um, I, but I still thought there's just no chance because Houston's not going to be able to move the football. Not against Allen and Payne and Sweat. I mean, it was a, it was a mismatch up front. I think that's the one thing as a football fan, especially in games in which. There is a clear underdog. You know, like I'll give you an, an example. Like with Maryland this year against Big Ten teams, I'm always looking when, when they play Penn State or Wisconsin as an example, I'm always looking at the line of scrimmage early in the game. And I, you can tell if they're completely overmatched. And if they're overmatched there, then it would be a fluke for them to win the game or have a chance to win the game. Now they actually had a chance to beat Ohio State last I watched, week. I watched that. I watched that game. I know it was the most watched game of the weekend. I just read that earlier today. Um, but uh, this one—that was that was insane, though. I know they had the ball at they, midfield I, down three. Stopped, but the crazy thing was they stopped Ohio State early. Yeah, they had them on the ropes early because Ohio State couldn't score. I mean, Ohio, in the fourth quarter, you're like every time Ohio State touches the ball, they're going to score. I know. Ohio State was down to their third string running back too, and he was great. But um, in this game, it was just defense versus their offense. It was a total mismatch up front, a total mismatch. I wonder what it'll be against Atlanta. Why don't we talk about that uh, that on Friday? What are you doing for Thanksgiving? I'm watching football. All right, All right we're, we're doing Thanksgiving at our house with with a couple friends. Um, Oh, here was my other question I wrote down. Right. I had one other question for you today. I know you're leaving. No, it's okay. Did you watch the Illinois-Penn State game, or Illinois-Michigan uh, game? I did. How does Illinois not take a timeout late in that game? Well, they, they First were... First of all, so there was, a, there was a catch late in the game from Michigan that wasn't a catch. They challenged, or it was looked at, and it, they called it a catch. It wasn't a catch. Well, they missed it. The, they, they let the clock run all the way down, and then Michigan's still trying to take a shot late, but... How do you you have one timeout left if you're Illinois with like 38 seconds left, and it's a third and six? Take the timeout. Yeah, um, I I think I know what you're talking. Look, I, I was watching the game, but I was at a sports bar in Dallas 
with all of my son's TCU friends watching the TCU game. You were not doing Kevin Sheehan things. No, I wasn't doing Kevin. TCU game was insane, too. Uh, Exactly. But the play that they missed was the offensive pass interference on the fourth and three. That was ridiculous. And that's where the Illinois coach, Brett Bielma, went nuts after the game, basically saying the league's rigged. Um, All right. Your time management is is so – you're such a stickler, so I figured you'd you'd have watched. (laughs) Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Enjoy. Enjoy your family, buddy. You enjoy yours, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Thanks. All right, uh, I will finish up the show with a couple of smell test picks right after these words from a few of our sponsors. All right, just two quick smell test picks to finish up the show today for Thanksgiving Day. Uh, they are brought to you by my good friends at MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and there's a holiday offer from MyBookie that I want to just quickly explain to you. On a deposit of $50 or more, using my promo code KevinDC, um, you can receive a 10% cash bonus all the way up to 2000 bucks. So if you deposit 2000 bucks, you're going to get a $200 cash bonus, all right? That's $200 for you and you only have to play through once your initial deposit. It's a cash in cash out opportunity at my bookie. Again, use my promo code Kevin DC. It's on a deposit of $50 or more up to $2,000. You're going to get a 10% cash bonus and you only have to play through one time on your initial amount. Remember what I've said to you about my bookie uh, in the past. Fair point spreads, fair totals, fair money lines, and fair pricing. You get paid when you win, too. Go to mybookie.ag for this latest offer. Use my promo code, KevinDC. All right, uh, six, three, and one last week. So the winning weeks uh, continue. I think that's seven out of the last nine weeks with two of the weeks that didn't win. I think one of them was a... 500 a week. I've got two plays for Thanksgiving Day, and then I'll be back on Friday with the rest of the weekend picks. Uh, I like Mississippi State tomorrow night in the Egg Bowl. They're getting two and a half by the half point, get it to three. Uh, and take Mississippi State against Ole Miss. Lots of Lane Kiffin uh, discussion about him perhaps leaving Oxford to uh, head to Auburn. Uh, Mississippi State's capable. This is a great rivalry game. Ole Miss has lost two in a row. Um, that 8-1 and one start now is 8-3. and three. Uh, I'll take the short number with the public backing Ole Miss and take Mississippi State tomorrow night plus the three. In the NFL, I like the Patriots. They're getting two and a half by the half point there get it to three Minnesota last week uh you know took the worst beating that we've seen and most of you would say well Sheehan you always say you know it's uh you you don't go with what you've recently seen you go with the opposite of what you've recently seen uh yeah but New England only scored 10 points in a 10 to 3 win over the Jets um, the public likes Minnesota uh, in this game. Uh, they view that number to be a short number. And the truth is the matchup is not a good one for the Vikings. 
You know, they got scored on Sunday on seven consecutive drives to open the game. Six of them, you know, on full-length fields. You know, it wasn't like there were a lot of turnovers. There was the fumble uh, that Parsons uh, got uh, Cousins on on the opening drive. After that, six drives, so seven in total that they scored on, and Minnesota's really banged up along their offensive line without Christian saw their best uh, offensive lineman, their starting left tackle. And Matthew Judon leads the league in sacks with 13. The Patriots' defense is good, really good. So Micah Parsons kind of wrecked Minnesota on Sunday, and Judon might do the same thing tomorrow night. Um, I'm not, you know, despite my, you know, certain... Um, you know, a fondness for one Kirk Cousins. I've said all year, I don't love this team. I think they're good. I think they'll be in the postseason. I think they're going to win the NFC North. But I thought they were much better offensively last year. Uh, they need to get stops, which it'll be easier against New England. Um, and then they're going to have to move the football a little bit uh, against a defense that is first rate. They got Dallas last week. They get New England tomorrow night. They get the Jets next week. I mean, you're talking about three of the best defenses in the league in a row with a banged-up offensive line. I like New England tomorrow night. I think Minnesota's at a point here in the season where they're going to struggle a little bit. And they're going to come back to earth. I think they'll end up being in the postseason as the NFC North champion with probably, you know, 10, 11 wins somewhere around there. Um, But they're going to be a candidate to exit quickly uh, once we get to January if they don't figure out that O-line and if they can't figure out how to stop teams that can move the football. Uh, There you go. Mississippi State plus the three buying the half point. Uh, New England plus the three tomorrow night. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Uh, I appreciate so much that you listen to this podcast and support the podcast. I hope you have a great holiday tomorrow. I'll be back on Friday with Cooley.